Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. So last week, Pastor Ben started us off with a new sermon series called Silver Linings. And just as a cloud comes and it's dark from where we see it, we know that the sun is behind it. It creates a silver lining around the dark cloud. And in the same way in our own lives, there are dark times of suffering. There are dark times of, of struggle. Uh, but we can find God even in those times. So Pastor Ben started, started us off last week very well by introducing this idea. And I'm very, very excited for this sermon series for a couple of reasons. One, uh, first of all, it's just a great time to work through this issue because it's such a dark time in our world. There's so much suffering and there's so much fear and there's so much struggle during this time. And so the question is, where is God during all of this? And the, another thing that I'm really excited about is that this sermon series focuses on stories from the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. Um, I'm studying it in my graduate work. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at these stories from the Old Testament that show us that God is ultimately working out um, good things and ultimately brings Christ into the world through even the bad things, through even the suffering that people have experienced. And so I'm excited to explore these Old Testament characters and their stories and finding God in their stories. Well, today we are hearing about a man named Hosea. And it, there's actually a pretty good possibility that you don't know anything about Hosea. Maybe you know that it's a book of the Bible. Uh, maybe you know he was a prophet. Um, but maybe you've never heard it preached. Maybe you've never heard it taught. Maybe you even never uh, heard it read out loud like we did today. And so we're actually going to be exploring Hosea's life. And he suffered greatly. He struggled greatly. And we're going to find out about how, what he learned about God, what he learned about himself and his people during this hard time. But before we jump in, I want us to spend some time thinking about um, our kids, if you have kids, or just thinking about how people name their kids. Because uh, names are funny things, right? They're a title that we call each other by. And, and it takes a long time as a parent to decide on what kind of name you want to name your child. And so these are my two guys here. And uh, you can tell I have little cavemen living in my home. So they are both wearing underwear on their head. And the funny thing about this, about this picture, my two and a half year old is the bigger one. The little one is uh, almost 15 months old. And the little one can't even talk yet. And he's the one who instigated this whole thing. He's the one who came over. He brought underwear over to my wife and patted his head because he wanted my wife to put the underwear on his head. And pretty soon they both had it on and they thought it was hilarious. These are my two boys, and I want to talk to you a little bit about their names. This is my oldest one. He's two and a half years old. 
His name is Augustine. And when we, were, uh, when we first found out that we were pregnant, that Sarah was pregnant with Augustine, uh, we went into um, na- the naming process, which every parent does this, and every parent kind of takes a different approach. Some people look online or they get a book about baby names. They begin to do research about maybe their history, their ancestry. What Sarah and I did is that we took a piece of paper and we wrote down every name that we liked. And this piece of paper was full of names. Uh, anything, even, it didn't matter how silly or strange it was, we wrote down the name on this giant piece of paper. And then we just began the process of talking about the names. We looked up what they meant. Uh, we looked up the definitions and we kind of winnowed down to a few names. And then we spent some time thinking about what kind of person we wanted our child to be. We decided, we were thinking about what kind of person we think that God was working um, in Sarah's womb to develop this wonderful human being. And we settled on the name Augustine. And we really liked that name because what we were looking for is that we were looking for a name that was kind of classic, that was a little bit older and maybe a little bit bigger of a name. Um, And so we liked the, the names Augustine and things like that. And also Augustine was a saint. Back in the 300s, there was a St. Augustine in North Africa, or maybe you've heard it, St. Augustine. That's another way to pronounce it. And so we decided to go with the German pronunciation of and spelling of Augustine. And we also liked it because we knew that there weren't going to be that many kids with his name in his class or in his grade or in his school. That's something else that we liked. And so we wound up with the name Augustine, which means great or magnificent. And this is our other one. This is our our littlest one. He's 14 months, almost 15 months, and his name is Ambrose. And when we found out that we were pregnant with Ambrose, we did a similar thing. We began to write down a list of names that we liked. This list was much smaller than our first one, since we kind of already had a pattern. We knew what we wanted. We knew what we liked. Um, So we made a a short list of names that we liked. And ultimately, we decided on Ambrose for a couple reasons. One, uh, because Ambrose is another saint of the church. And also, it's kind of an older name that we like. And another thing is that Ambrose and Augustine actually knew each other um, way back in the 300s. St. Ambrose is the one who brought St. Augustine to the faith, who proclaimed the gospel to St. Augustine. And, so, and it also started with an A, so it had some nice alliteration properties as well. And so we decided on Ambrose. We looked up the definition, and Ambrose uh, means eternal. And so we were fine with that definition. We were fine with what that meant, and uh, we named him Ambrose. We were very careful about what we named our children. We wanted them to be classic names, older names that weren't going to be shared by a lot of their peers. We wanted them to be fairly unique. And many of us as parents go through this naming process. We spend a lot of time thinking and praying about the names of our children. In our story today, um, in, our, in, our, in our sermon, we're going to hear about a guy named Hosea. And he had three children, and they had some pretty interesting names. And so we're going to enter into uh, that space. But I want to back up and tell you a little, about, a little bit about the life of Hosea. And so this is how the prophecy, the book of Hosea, begins in chapter 1. The Lord said to Hosea, Go, take for yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. So we're introduced to the character of Hosea in an interesting way. This story uh, comes swinging right out of the bat with some kind of sensitive 
uh, topics. And just to warn you guys, if you do have little kids in the house, this, uh, this story does, is, it's rough. This story is pretty vulgar. This story can be a little violent. And so uh, just be aware that we will be um, touching on some topics that might be um, a little sensitive, uh, that might be um, a little adult. So just be aware of that. But Hosea, we know, lived about 750, 800 years before Jesus. And he was a prophet who lived in the northern kingdom of Israel. And so at this point, Israel um, is kind of a rectangle up against the Mediterranean Sea. And at this point in Israel's history, it had actually split into two kingdoms. There was a southern kingdom of Judah, which is where Jerusalem is. And there was a northern kingdom called Israel. So it's a little bit confusing because Israel can be the northern kingdom or the whole country uh, as the two kingdoms together. But we have the northern kingdom and we have the southern kingdom at this point in Israel's history. And Hosea lived in the northern kingdom. And uh, Hosea, we don't know much about him. We don't know what he did. He probably wasn't a particularly wealthy man for reasons that we'll uh, talk about later. And at this point, when he's called by God to begin his prophetic career, um, God calls him to do something a little strange. He calls him to marry a woman, um, and all we know about this woman is that her name was Gomer. We know her father's name, and we know that she was a lady of ill repute. So we don't really know if she was a prostitute. Uh, maybe she was a temple prostitute. She may have been um, a Jew who was kind of living a pagan life as a temple prostitute. We don't know if maybe she was just uh, maybe a little liberated sexually and just kind of did what she wanted to uh, sexually. We don't really know much about her, but we do know that she was um, unfaithful from the beginning, that she was kind of doing her own thing sexually from the beginning. And this, in this context, is really um, not good <laughs> because these women would have been outcast of mainstream society. They would have been uh, sent out and they would have been in the margins of society. Uh, there was a high rate of slavery for women uh, like this because they couldn't make money. They didn't have family support. And God says to Hosea, go and marry this woman who does these things, who's low on the totem pole, who is in the margins of society and who is immoral. Go and marry her. And this is a weird thing for God to ask of Hosea, but this is what we find out is that God um, is not afraid to use situations to teach people about things. And so he actually uses the situation of Hosea to teach Hosea and to teach Israel about himself. And so Hosea marries Gomer. And we don't know much about their marriage, but as far as we know, they uh, seem to be happily married. They had a few kids. And chances are that maybe that if Gomer really was a slave or if she was in a low economic status, um, being married to a man who had a regular job, being married to a man who, who did have some status would have actually supported her in a way that she wasn't before. So Hosea kind of brought her into a new uh, way of living, a new lifestyle that was uh, a positive thing, that she no longer had to uh, be at the lowest rung on the ladder. She no longer had to be in the margins of society. She was brought into this family where she had support and economic health. And they had a son. They actually ended up having three kids. And this is where we get into their names. And the Lord said to him, that is to Hosea, name him the first son, Jezreel. Now, uh, we don't really know what this word means because we never use this word in uh, the modern day. But Jezreel is a place in the northern kingdom. 
And Jezreel is the place where the palace of the king of the northern kingdom is. So everyone knew where Jezreel was and what it referenced. It would be almost like if, if we had a kid and named them Washington, D.C. Everyone would know where this place is. Everyone would know what it's a reference to. And so Hosea names his first son Jezreel. And here's the interesting thing. is just one generation before Hosea, uh, just Hosea's parents would have lived through this. There was some horrible, horrible things that happened in Jezreel. You see, there was a king named Ahaz, and Ahaz had a, he died, and Ahaz had a son who died. And so then there was a second son who ascended into the throne. So there was a king, and his mother was queen, a woman by the name of Jezebel, which may sound familiar. And there was another individual who wanted to vie for the throne of Israel. This is straight out of some crazy action-adventure movie, uh, which these are some of the most interesting and compelling and violent portions of the Old Testament are these stories that we see in Judges, in Joshua, in First and Second Kings, in First and Second Samuel. These are, these are amazing stories, but almost like Games of Thrones. It's almost like an HBO special. But there's this person, this other man, who was vying for the throne of Israel. And so he had the king killed. He was able to kill the king. And then he went to Jezreel, to the palace, and Jezebel, the queen, was up in the palace. And somehow this man convinced her servants to throw her out the window. And so they did. And she fell to her death. But that wasn't good enough for this man who was vying for the throne. His name was Jehu. This wasn't good enough for Jehu. He actually had her body trampled by horses and then eaten by dogs. This is a horrible, bloody, violent overthrow of the king, of the kingdom that Jehu was able to accomplish. Everyone would have known about this. Everyone would have been aware of this. But it actually gets worse. You see, Ahaz, way back there, he had 70 descendants who could claim the throne. And so Jehu had all 70 individuals killed and beheaded, and then their heads would put, were put on display at the Jezreel palace. The bloody, violent, vulgar episode in the northern kingdom's life. Everyone would have been aware of this. Everyone would have known about this. And Hosea names his eldest son after this place where all this violence and horrible things had, had just been done 30, 40 years before. And that's Jezreel. That's the first son that Hosea had. And then uh, they had a daughter. She conceived, that is Gomer, and bore a daughter. Then the Lord said to him, Hosea, name her no Compassion. Now, this is kind of a weird name, but in Hebrew, they would oftentimes kind of squish words together or phrases together to create a name that kind of had a phrase or a meaning behind it, almost like we would name somebody grace or faith, uh, but it would be more complex phrases than just an attribute that we would want the child to have. And so uh, this daughter's name was No Compassion. And the reason that God wanted Hosea to name his daughter this is because God told him that the kingdoms around Hosea would have no compassion. They would have no pity on Israel. And then Gomer and Hosea had another son. She conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said, name him not my people. 
And God said to Hosea, the reason you're naming him that is because the people of Israel are no longer my people. They have, they have broken the covenant with me. They have gone and sought out other gods. They have gone and done their own thing. They are no longer my people. This is a pretty dark this is a pretty dark passage of scripture. This is a pretty dark story. And this is just the first chapter of Hosea. This is a pretty dark episode in the life of Israel. Um, and, and we see this in the Old Testament. That it's not, you know, this isn't your grandma's Sunday school class. Some of these stories are hard. Hosea understood suffering. Hosea understood struggle. And the story actually gets worse from here. It gets harder from this point. And that's where we're going to jump in now. Beginning in chapter 3. The Lord said to me again, that is Hosea, Go love a woman who has a lover and is an adulteress. Just as the Lord loves the people of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So at this point in the story, um, we hear about Hosea's family. Then there's some oracles from God, um, some prophetic words from God. And then the story picks up again here in chapter three. And uh, Hosea says that the Lord spoke to him again and said, go find a woman, go love a woman who has a lover. So at some point in Hosea and Gomer's marriage, Gomer has left Hosea. She has left Hosea to be a single dad with their three kids, at least three kids, and she has left to go um, take on other lovers. And again, we don't know exactly what's going on um, in Gomer's life. We don't know what she ended up doing. She may have been a, a prostitute. Um, again, she may have gone back to prostituting or may have started prostituting for the first time. Maybe this was an extra marital affair. Um, but we have some indication later that we're going to talk about that she fell into maybe some slavery, particularly probably sex Slavery. She was probably a, a slave and a prostitute. And God says to Hosea, this woman has left you, even though this woman has left you. Go and find her. Go and love her. And in fact, this word uh, love, it, it, uh, the implication is make love. So go and restore this woman back to marital relations with you, even though she is off um, having affair, she's off prostituting herself. Go and bring her back into your home and into your, your bed. Welcome her back. Restore her back into your life. And this is what Hosea does. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer of barley and a measure of wine. So this is why we think maybe that uh, Gomer wound up in slavery is because Hosea had to buy her back. Uh, maybe she was married. Maybe she got married again and he had to pay the husband. We don't really know what's going on. But for some reason, he had to actually sacrifice some of his money. And the indication here is that he didn't have the cash on hand to buy her back. So he had to get some uh, 15 shekels over here. He had to get a homer of barley. And a homer is a, a unit of measurement. We really don't know how much that is. And a measure of wine. He had to kind of put together this payment plan to buy his wife back from whoever owned her, whoever was enslaving her. And so he bought her back at a great sacrifice of himself. He didn't have the cash on hand. He kind of had to scrounge up in order to get her back into his life. And the story continues. And I said to her, you must remain as mine for many days and you shall not play the whore. You shall not have intercourse with a man, nor I 
with you. And the translation here is a little, a little clunky, a little weird, um, but the original language Hebrew is kind of strange in, in these passages and actually in all of Hosea. Uh, but essentially what happens is that he says to Gomer, he says, you're going to stay with me, you're going to live with me for a period of time and we are not going to have intercourse. We are going to uh, be abstinent from each other and you will not have intercourse with anybody and I will not have, any, have intercourse with anybody. But at some point, you must remain as mine for many days where we don't do this, but at some point, that marriage is going to be reconsummated. They're going to completely restore their marriage fully, including the marriage bed. And I know that this sounds kind of weird to our modern ears, and, and, and it is kind of weird. This was a patriarchal society, which is why we don't know a lot about Gomer. They wouldn't have given a lot of details about women at this time. Um, and, and it seems weird that he bought her back. You know, what, does she have any kind of volition in all of this? Um, and, and I understand that it seems weird. And so what I want us to do is not get hung up on, um, on that. Because the weird thing about this passage, the amazing thing about this passage, is not that he told her that they weren't going to have sex, they were going to abstain from that for a number of days, for many days, but that he was actually going to fully restore her. That was the plan the whole time, was a full restoration of their marriage relationship. That's the amazing thing in this passage. Because Gomer legally should have been stoned to death. She should have been executed for her sins. According to the law of Moses, according to scripture, she should have been executed at this time. But Hosea brings her back into his home with the plan, with the intention of fully restoring her back to her relationship, her marriage relationship with Hosea. She is not too far gone. That's the, that's the amazing thing here, is that Hosea is gracious enough to sacrifice his money and his income to kind of scrounge together enough to buy her back and to bring her back and to restore her into his home. And this is an incredible story of love and of grace. And we continue on uh, to hear about why this happened. God actually has given uh, the reason that all of this is happening to Homer. And this is what God says to him. For the Israelites shall remain many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or teraphim. And so God tells Hosea that in the future, sometime in the future, Israel is going to be without a king. They're going to be sent into exile and scattered across the known world. They're going to have to live many days without a king or without a prince, just like you have to remain many days without intercourse with your wife. You have to wait and abstain at this time. God says, just like that, Israel is going to have to wait. Israel is, there's going to be this period of waiting before there's a final consummation. And then God continues, afterward, after this period of waiting, the Israelites shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall come in awe to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. And so God says, just then as you will restore Gomer fully back into your family, back into the marriage bed, so I will fully restore Israel back into covenant relationship with me. They will, they will come in awe to me. They will, they will worship me and glorify me for my goodness in the later days. This is what God tells Hosea, is that he's using Hosea's suffering to show Hosea something. 
Hosea is recognizing here that Israel is unfaithful. Israel is Gomer. And Hosea is playing the part of God, welcoming Israel, welcoming the wife back into fully restored relationship once again. Last week, Pastor Ben um, asked us a question. There may be dark clouds, but what will you find on the other side? What will you find on the other side of the dark clouds? And here in Hosea, this is what we learn, that we find truth on the other side of the dark clouds. You see, in our own suffering, in our own struggle, in the times that we are betrayed by our friends, by our family, by our loved ones, God is showing us something. God never lets suffering go to waste. He uses suffering to show us something about ourselves and to show us something about him. So when we face our own suffering, we learn a little bit about ourselves. And this is what we learn, is that no matter how hard we try, no matter how strong we are, there are things that we simply cannot control. There are things that we simply are too small to handle. We cannot control the betrayal of a spouse. Hosea could not control Gomer. We cannot control a virus that, that spreads throughout the world and causes havoc. We cannot control the betrayal of a friend or a family member. We cannot control those things. But in those moments, in the suffering that we experience, in our own struggle with sin, we learn that we are smaller than we thought. We learn that we actually aren't able to do everything that we thought. But we also learn something about God. We learn that God is faithful, even through the suffering. That God is faithful even through the pain. That God is faithful even through the grief. That God is faithful and that he's by our side and he is fighting for us and working for us. That's what we learn about God. Just like with Gomer, we learned about uh, Israel's sin and Israel's suffering. We learn about um, our own suffering and our own sin through our struggles. But here's the crazy thing in this story of Hosea. In this, in this prophecy, we are not Hosea. We are not the ones who are suffering. We're Gomer. We are the ones who are attracted by every new hotshot thing that comes along and we're, we're drawn away from God because of this thing or that thing, because of our kid's uh, sports career or because of our kid's um, uh, school career or because of other activities. We're drawn away from God because of our, our, our physical things, the material things that we have. We're drawn away because of unhealthy relationships and God is always welcoming us back into his house. He's always welcoming us back into his home. He has sacrificed and given everything in Jesus to, to bring us back and to fully restore us into his home, that we can have relationship with him. You see, we fail. We are unfaithful, but God is faithful. We are the ones who are often, our attention is drawn by all sorts of things, but God is always remaining faithful and he is always seeking us out. He loves us. He's by our side. 
He's seeking us out and he is relentless. God will not stop until his mercy is known, until we know that he is forgiven, that we are forgiven. And this is what he does for us in Christ. He takes on sin and takes on death and Jesus dies because of it. And then we are given the words, you are forgiven. So whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is that is out of your control, God is faithful. And you are forgiven for your weakness. You may not feel valuable, but God has found you to be invaluable because God has given up everything for you. Because the value of an object is not inherent in it. But the value of an object is how far the owner will go to possess them. And God has given up everything for us. He has given us his son. He has suffered death on the cross for us. And this is what he gives us. He brings us back into his home and he fully restores us no matter what we've done. You are forgiven. And on the other side of your suffering, you're going to find truth of your own weakness, but of God's strength and God's unstopping, never giving up love and care for you. Steady, so